I got to say that the uh, last time that I saw a pie in the face was when I was in youth ministry back in the 70s. So thank you for bringing back that happy moment. And Jeannie, thank you for taking one for the team. Beautiful thing. Well, Elizabeth already indicated that uh, our scripture this morning from the fifth chapter of Ephesians begins with urging us to imitate God. I sent out in the pulse this past week the fact that Two of the best-selling books in all of Christian history are focused on imitating Christ. In 1417, a cloistered monk, Thomas Akempis, wrote the book The Imitation of Christ, the bestseller during the Middle Ages. Then in 1896, a Christian socialist named Charles Sheldon wrote a book called In His Steps. A few years back, a young woman, Jeannie Tinklenberg, who was a youth advisor for uh, Calvary Reformed Church in Holland, Michigan, read the Sheldon book, and she was so impressed that she had T-shirts made up for her youth group, along with bracelets that had the initials WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? And it became a national trend. Uh, it was so well known that it spawned parodies. Uh, basketball players had... Uh, what would Jordan do, Michael Jordan, and music uh, fans, what would Johnny do, Johnny Cash. A group of Christians even wrote a book, What Would Jesus Drive? Well, I think the question is more nuanced. It's more complicated than those initials, what would Jesus do? Um, let me give a couple examples. I'm going to visit a member from the church at Archbold Hospital. And as I enter that hospital room, I ask the question, what would Jesus do? The answer is pretty obvious, isn't it? He would heal that sick person. But guess what? I don't have that power or that gift. Now, fast forward two weeks from today. It's my last sermon at First Presbyterian Church. This summer, by the way, has flown by. It's been the fastest summer in my experience. But at my last sermon, I break a rule. I, I tell my preaching students that they should preach about the Bible, they should preach about Christ, and they should preach about 20 minutes. But on this Sunday, I am so overwhelmed. I decide I'm going to thank all the people who have been so loving to Ann and me this summer. And the sermon goes on and on. I mean, I preach so long at this service that Sunday school is wiped out. And I just make it to the 11 o'clock service. I preach at the 11 o'clock service. Usually we're out of there by 10 to 12, but it's a quarter to one, and people are looking at their watches. Some guys are talking about the uh, People are really getting hungry, okay? for fish sandwiches everybody right he could feed not only this congregation but the Methodists the Episcopalians the Baptists all the needy people in Thomasville again I'm not a miracle worker so 
WWJD, what would Jesus do, is not really the right question. I think the biblical question is, what would Jesus have me do by the power of the Holy Spirit? That won't fit on a t-shirt, I'll own, or a bracelet. But that's really what I believe to be the imitation of Christ that the New Testament is talking about, imitating Christ's spiritual qualities. Listen to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Just a quick parenthesis there. Paul's referring to people who make this the practice of their life, who are unrepentant idolaters or sexually immoral. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For everything that... <clears throat> becomes visible as light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. I think this passage is teaching us a tremendously important truth, and it's this, that since Christ loves us and he gave himself for us, we should imitate him by walking in love as Christ did. The New Testament is very clear that Christian love is always responsive. A few verses after what Bryant read in 1 John 4, John writes, We love, why? Because he first loved us. There are three qualities that the New Testament highlights in the life of Christ and calls us to imitate. Love is one. In Philippians chapter 2, we are told to imitate Christ's humility. 
have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant. We are called to humble ourselves. And then the third one is servanthood. In John 13, Jesus says to his disciples after he washes their feet, If I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, so you also should wash one another's feet. If I'm your servant, you should serve each other. So it's really those qualities that we are to imitate in Jesus Christ. In fact, all of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, they are all demonstrated in the life of Christ. So how do we imitate that? Are we like an understudy? who watches the performance of the main player and then tries to copy that? No, because it's impossible. We could never attain the righteousness of Christ. He gave us his righteousness. But Jesus says, if you abide in me, if you remain with me, if you practice my presence in your life throughout the day, you will bear much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So Christ calls us to imitate him in reflecting love and humility and servanthood and all of the fruit of the Spirit. I want to focus in this passage on love, because that's what Paul tells us. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He stresses that we are to walk in love to imitate Christ in our sexual behavior. Now, I don't think there's any debate that our society has an unhealthy attitude towards sex. Billy Graham once used this example, this analogy. Imagine being in a country where people stood outside of a restaurant window and someone slowly raised the curtain on that window to show a pot roast. People paid money to see that. We would say that that country has an unhealthy attitude toward food. The same thing is true in our nation about sex. Childguard.com says that between the ages of 8 and 16 in our country, 90% of children have seen images of pornography on the Internet. And two-thirds of the time, it was unsolicited. They weren't trying to do that. Our two sons, who have teenagers, have strong filters on their computers in order to guard against that assault on decency. Christians are called, in Scripture, to celebrate sex as a great gift from God. There's a whole book in the Bible, the Song of Solomon, that is a wonderful celebration of the gift of sex in marriage. But the book of Proverbs compares sex to a fire. Now, when a fire is in the proper place, a college bonfire or a warm fireplace on a cold winter's night, it's a wonderful thing. But when fire is out of control, 
like it is right now in California and Oregon, it's destructive. One of the guys in my men's Bible study had what I think is a very healthy attitude towards sex. He said, when I see a pretty girl, I don't try to pretend that she's not good looking. On the other hand, I don't think about trying to be with her. But I say to myself, Lord, there's a beautiful woman I can't wait to get back to my wife. We are called as believers in Jesus Christ to have marriages of faithfulness. Marriages in which we respect and we praise our spouse, both publicly and privately. Our love for Christ is shown by our sexual behavior. It's also shown, Paul says in this passage, in a second way. When I was a youth pastor back in the days of Tithes in the Faith, David Wilkerson was the big guy. He had just written the book, The Cross and the Switchblade. Some of you might have read it or seen the movie. And he came to Pittsburgh to speak. I took my youth group to hear David Wilkerson. And the title of his message was, The World's Greatest Sin. It was an intriguing title because I thought, what's he going to talk about? It's maybe gang violence because he was seeing that all the time on the streets of New York or sexual immorality or drug addiction. Uh, any number of things that David Wilkerson was dealing with on a daily basis. But the thesis of his message is the world's greatest sin is wasting time. And he made the case that wasting time leads to all of these other sins. Paul tells us here that we are to make the best use of time. Why? Because the days are evil. Time is a gift from God. It is limited. It is finite. It is irreplaceable. God wants us to use time in a way that makes a difference for eternity. I read a book some time ago by John Piper called Don't Waste Your Life. And John Piper talks about visiting a member of his church couple who had moved from Minnesota to Florida. And as he was talking with the husband, he told John that he spent hours every morning walking along the beach looking for new seashells. He showed him his impressive seashell collection. He had cleaned these shells and polished them and put them in cabinets and so forth. And John Piper's response was, when God asks you what you did in your retirement, are you going to show him your seashell collection? Now, there's nothing wrong with hobbies, as long as they're in the right place. In fact, God can even use our hobbies as a way of reaching people with love. What are the three things that last, according to Paul? Faith, hope, and love. We really need to look at our lives and say, am I using my time in a way that bolsters my faith, my hope, and my love, and the faith, hope, and love of other people? Ivy Lee was the chairman of the board of the Bethlehem Steel Corporation back in the 40s, and he was frustrated that he wasn't more productive. In 
And so he called Charles Schwab. This is the father of the investment guy. Uh, Charles Schwab Sr. was a management training expert. And he came to Bethlehem and Ivy League shared his frustration. And Schwab said, I'm going to give you one idea. And I want you to implement that idea. And then after a month, you can pay me what it's worth. And here was the one idea. Schwab said, at the start of every day, make a to-do list and put at the top of that to-do list what you believe to be your number one priority for the day. And stay with that until you accomplish it. And then move to number two and number three and so forth. Ivy League sent him a check after a month for $25,000. For us Christians, number one priority, spending time with Jesus Christ in his word, in prayer, in fellowship. Then number two, what is it that God wants me to accomplish this day? Make the most of your time. It's limited and the days are evil. The third thing that Paul tells us here is that we can imitate Jesus Christ most effectively by worshiping God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus was the supreme example of worship of the Father. He would go off by himself over and over again to spend time in prayer. Two times in the New Testament... Worship is compared to getting drunk at the day of Pentecost and in this passage. Why is that? Well, I think it's because when most people are drunk, they're very exuberant. They're full of joy. They are happy. Now, Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, it's debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is that the Spirit in us in worship should re be reflected by joyful worship, by profound thanksgiving. <clears throat> you may not be able to sing on the music thing, but God wants you to make a joyful noise to the Lord and to sing His praises. If you come to worship on Sunday morning, even after your worst week, and you cannot think of many, many things to thank God for. You aren't thinking. He is the source of every good and perfect gift. Joy is not a matter of circumstance. It's a matter of attitude. And the New Testament calls us to have an attitude of gratitude in which we give thanks in all circumstances for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of the most joyful people I've ever encountered were Christians at the end of their life who were absolutely convinced that God is with them, that God has blessed them, and that God has used them. When we worship God from the heart, in spirit and in truth, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we are doing what we were created to do. 
our Westminster Confession asks the key question, what is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We do that in worship. So, are you an imitator of Jesus Christ in terms of your spiritual qualities? Are you showing love in your sexual behavior, in your use of time, and in the way you worship? Let's pray. Jesus, we love because you first loved us. And Lord, you took the initiative to save us from our sins. To give us a new life that is life abundant and life eternal. Lord, a lifetime is not long enough to thank you for all that you have given us. And so you've given us eternity in heaven. But Lord, we just have a short time in this life to earn those victories. We'll have forever to celebrate them. But Lord, we pray that we might be people who love you in the way we love our spouse and the way we use our time and the way we praise your name. For we pray in your strong and blessed name.